Chapter Fifty Two of the Golden Silence. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Reading done by Jules Harlock of Mississauga, Ontario, Canada. The Golden Silence by Alice Muriel and Charles Norris Williamson. Chapter Fifty Two. It is a long cry from the borge of Toja among the dunes of the southern desert to Algiers. Yet Neville begged that he might be taken home. You know why, he said to Stephen, and his eyes explained. If Stephen needed explanations, Neville thought that there might be some chance of seeing Josette in Algiers if he were dying but the army surgeon from Oed Tolga pronounced it unsafe to take him so far. Yet away from Toja he must go, since it was impossible to care for him properly there, and the bullet which had wounded him was still in his side. Fortunately the enemy had left plenty of camels. They had untethered all, hoping that the animals might wander away, too far to be caught by the Europeans, but more than were needed remained in the neighborhood of Toja, and Rostafel took possession of half a dozen good maharis, which would help recoup him for his losses in the borge. Not one animal had any mark upon it which could identify the attackers, and saddles and accoutrements were of Tuareg make. The dead men, too, were impossible to identify, and it was not likely that much trouble would be taken in prosecuting inquiries. Among those whose duty it is to govern Algeria, there is a proverb which, for various good reasons, has come to be much esteemed. Let sleeping dogs lie. Not a man of the five who defended the borge, but had at least one wound to show for his night's work. Always, however, it is those who attack, in a short siege, who suffer most, and the Europeans were not proud of the many corpses they had to their credit. There was some patching for the surgeon to do for all, but Neville's was the only serious case. The French doctor, de Vigny, did not try to hide the truth from the wounded man's friend. There was danger. The best thing would have been to get Neville to Algiers, but since that was impossible, he must travel in a bassour by early stages to Tugort. Instead of two days' journey, they must make it three, or more if necessary, and he, de Vigny, would go with them to put his patient into the hands of the army surgeon at Tugort. They had only one bassour, that in which Sadie and Victoria had come to Toja from Oed Tolga, but Neville was delirious more often than not, and had no idea that a sacrifice was being made for him. Blankets and two of the mattresses least damaged by fire in the barricade were fastened on to camels for the ladies, after the fashion in use by Bedouin women of the poorest class, or Oled Nail's who had not yet made their fortune as dancers, and so the journey began again. There was never a time during the three days it lasted for Stephen to confess to Victoria. 
Possibly she did not wish him to take advantage of a situation created as if by accident at Toja. Or perhaps she thought, now that the common danger which had drawn them together was over, it would be best to wait until anxiety for Neville had passed, before taking of their own affairs. At Azus, where they passed a full night of suffering for Neville, they had news of the marabout's death. It came by telegraph to the operator, just before the party was ready to start on. Yet Sadie was sure that Sabine had caused it to be sent just at that time. He had been obliged to march back with his men, the penalty of commanding the force for which he had asked, but a letter would surely come to Ducourt, and Sadie could imagine all that it would say. She had no regrets for Ben Halim, and said frankly to Victoria that it was difficult not to be indecently glad of her freedom. At last she had waked up from a black dream of horror, and now that it was over, it hardly seemed real. I shall forget, she said. I shall put my whole soul to forgetting everything that's happened to me in the last ten years, and everyone I've known in the South, except one. But to have met him and to have him love me, I'd live it all over again, all she kept victoria with her continually and in the physical weakness and nervous excitement which followed the strain she had gone through she seemed to have forgotten her interest in victoria's affairs she did not know that her sister and stephen had talked of love for at toja after the fight began she had thought of nothing but the danger they shared Altogether, everything combined to delay explanations between Stephen and Victoria. He tried to regret this, yet he could not be as sorry as he was repentant. It was not quite heaven, but it was almost paradise to have her near him, though they had a chance for only a few words occasionally, within earshot of Sadie or de Vigny or the twins who watched over Neville like two well-trained nurses she loved him since a word from her meant more than vows from other women nothing had happened yet to disturb her love so these few days belonged to stephen he could not feel that he had stolen them at tugort he would find a time and a place to speak and then it would be over forever but one joy he had which never could have come to him if it had not been for the peril at toja they knew each other's hearts nothing could change that one day no doubt she would learn to care for some other man but perhaps never quite in the same way she had cared for him because stephen was sure that this was her first love and though she might be happy in another love he tried to hope it but did not succeed sincerely he would always have it to remember until the day of his death that once she had loved him. As far out from Tugort as Temesin, Lady MacGregor came to meet them in a ramshackled carriage filled with rugs and pillows in case Neville wished to change. But he was not in a state to wish for anything, and de Vigny decided for him. He was to go on in the Basur to the villa which had been let to Lady MacGregor by an officer of the garrison. It was there that the little Mohammed was to have been kept 
and guarded by the highlanders if the great scheme had not been suddenly changed in some of its details now the child had inherited his father's high place already the news had reached the marabout of tamassin and flashed on to tugort but no one suspected the viper which had bitten the saint had taken the form of a french bullet perhaps had all been known to the government it would have seemed poetical justice that the arch-plotter had met his death thus but his plots had died with him and if islam mourned because the molsada they hoped for had been snatched from them they mourned in secret for above other sects and nation islam knows how to be silent when they were settled in the villa near the oasis sadie and victoria too for they needed no urging to wait till it was known whether neville skiard would live or die lady macgregor said with her usual briskness to stephen of course i've telegraphed to that creature stephen looked at her blankly that hard-hearted little beast josette sobeys the fairy aunt explained stephen could hardly help laughing though he had seldom felt less merry but that the tiny lady macgregor should refer to tall josette who was nearly twice her height as a little beast struck him as somewhat funny perhaps her toy terrier snappiness was comic i've nothing against the girl lady macgregor felt it right to go on except that she's an idiot to bite off her nose to spite her own face and neville's too i don't approve of her at all as a wife for him you must understand neville could marry a princess and she's nothing but a little school teacher with a dimple or two whose mother and father were less than nobody still as neville wants her she might have the grace to show appreciation of the honour by not spoiling his life he's never been the same since he went and fell in love with her and she refused him you've telegraphed to tlemcen that neville is ill stephen ventured i've telegraphed to the creature that she'd better come here at once if she wants to see him alive replied lady macgregor i suppose she loves him in her french algerian way and she must have saved up enough money for the fare anyhow if neville doesn't live i happen to know he's left her nearly everything except what the poor boy imagines i ought to have that's pouring coals of fire on her head don't think of his not living exclaimed stephen honestly i believe he won't live unless that idiot of a girl comes and purrs and promises to marry him deathbed or no deathbed again stephen smiled faintly you're a matchmaker lady macgregor he said you are one of the most subtle persons i ever saw the old lady took this as a compliment i haven't lived among arabs goodness knows how many years for nothing she retorted i telegraphed for her about five minutes after you wired from azus in fact my telegram went back by the boy who brought yours she may be here day after tomorrow if she started at once stephen reflected aloud she did and she will said lady macgregor dryly you've heard the day i wired you have quite a nice way of breaking things to people you dear little ladyship said stephen and for some reason which he could not in the least understand 
This speech caused Neville's aunt to break into tears. That evening, the two surgeons extracted the bullet from Neville's side. Afterwards, he was extremely weak and took as little interest as possible in things until Stephen was allowed to speak to him for a moment. Most men, if told that they had just sixty seconds to spend at the bedside of a dear friend, would have been at a loss what to say in a space of time so small yet valuable. But Stephen knew what he wished to say, and said it as soon as Neville let him speak. But Neville began first. Maybe going to deserve name of wings, he muttered. Shouldn't wonder. Don't care much. Is there any one thing in the world you want above everything else? Asked Stephen. Yes, sight of Josette. One thing I can't have. Yes, you can, said Stephen quietly. She's coming. She started the minute she heard you were ill, and she'll be in Tugort day after tomorrow. You're not pulling my leg. To do that would be injurious, but I thought good news would be better than medicine. Thank you, Legs. You're a great doctor, was all that Neville answered. But his temperature began to go down within the hour. He'll get the girl, of course, remarked Lady MacGregor when Stephen told her. That is, if he lives. He will live, with this hope to buoy him up, said Stephen and she can't hold out against him for a minute when she sees him as he is. Indeed, I rather fancy she'll be in a mood to change her mind this last month. Why this last month? Oh, I think she misunderstood Neville's interest in Miss Ray, and that helped her to understand herself. When she finds out that it's for her he still cares, not someone else, she'll do anything he asks. Afterwards, it proved that he was right. The day after the arrival at Tugort, the house in its garden near the oasis was very quiet. The Arab servants, whom Lady MacGregor had taken with the place, moved silently, and for Neville's sake, voices were lowered. There was a brooding stillness of summer heat over the one little patch of flowery peace and perfumed shade in the midst of the fierce golden desert. Yet to the five members of the oddly assembled family it was as if the atmosphere tingled with electricity. There was a curious, even oppressive sense of suspense, of waiting for something to happen. They did not speak of this feeling, yet they could see it in each other's eyes if they dared to look. It was with them as with people who wait to hear a clock begin striking an hour which will bring news of some great change in their lives, for good or evil. The tension increased as the day went on. Still, no one had said to another, What is there so strange about today? Do you feel it? It is only our imagination, a reaction after strain. Or is it that a presentiment of something to happen hangs over us? Stephen had not yet had any talk with Victoria. They had seen each other alone for scarcely more than a moment since the night at Toja. But now that Neville was better, and the surgeons said that if all went well, danger was past, it seemed to Stephen that the hour had come. After they had lunched in the dim, cool dining-room, and Lady MacGregor had proposed a siesta for all sensible people, 
Stephen stopped the girl on her way upstairs as she followed her sister. May I talk to you for a little while this afternoon? he asked. Voice and eyes were wistful, and Victoria wondered why, because she was so happy that she felt as if life had been set to music. She had hoped that he would be happy too, when Neville's danger was over, and he had time to think of himself, perhaps too of her. Yes, she said, let's talk in the garden when it's cooler. I love being in the garden, don't you? Everything that happens seems more beautiful. Stephen remembered how lovely he had thought her in the lily garden at Algiers. He was almost glad that they were not to have this talk there, for the memory of it was too perfect to mar with sadness. I'm going to put Sadie to sleep, she went on. You may laugh, but truly I can. When I was a little girl, she used to let me stroke her hair if her head ached, and she would always fall asleep. And once she's asleep, I shan't dare move, or she'll wake up. She has such happy dreams now, and they're sure to come true. Shall I come to you about half-past five? I'll be waiting, said Stephen. It was the usual garden of a villa in the neighborhood of a desert town, but Stephen had never seen one like it, except that of the Siad in Bosada. There were the rounded paths of hard sand, the color of pinkish gold in the dappling shadows of dark palms and magnolias, and there were rills of running water that whispered and gurgled as they bathed the dark roots of the trees. No grass grew in the garden, and flowers were not planted in beds or borders. Plants and trees sprang out of the sand, and such flowers as there were, roses and pomegranate blossoms, hibiscus and passion flowers, climbed and rambled and pushed and hung in heavy drapery, as best they could, without attention or guidance. But one of the principal paths led to a kind of arbor or temple, where long ago palms had been planted in a ring and had formed a high green dome, through which, even at noon, the light filtered as if through a dome of emerald. Underneath, the pavement of gold was hard and smooth, and in the center whispered a tiny fountain ornamented with old Algerian tiles. It trickled rather than played, but its delicate music was soothing and sweet as a murmured lullaby, and from the shaded seat beside it there was a glimpse between tree trunks of the burning desert gold. On this wooden seat by the fountain Stephen waited for Victoria and saw her coming to him, along the straight path that led to the round point. She wore a white dress which Lady MacGregor had brought her, and as she walked, the embroidery of light and shadow made it look like lace of a lovely pattern. She stopped on the way, and gathering a red rose with a long stem, slipped it into her belt. It looked like a spot of blood over her heart, as if a sword had been driven in and drawn out. Stephen could not bear to see it there. It was like a symbol of the wound that he was waiting to inflict. She came to him smiling, looking very young, like a child who expects happiness. Have I kept you waiting long? She asked, her blue eyes with the shadow of the trees darkening them, 
had a wonderful color almost purple a desperate longing to take her in his arms swept over stephen like a wave he drew in his breath sharply and shut his teeth he could not answer hardly knowing what he did he held out his hands and very quietly and sweetly she laid hers in them don't trust me don't be kind to me he said crushing her hands for an instant then putting them away she looked up in surprise as he stood by the fountain very tall and pale and suddenly rather grim it seemed to her his expression out of tune with the peace of the garden and the mood in which she had come what is the matter she asked simply everything i hardly know how to begin to tell you yet i must perhaps you'll think i shouldn't have waited till now but there's been no chance at least i no there's been no chance for us to talk or even to think very much about ourselves victoria tried to reassure him begin just as you like whatever you say whatever you have to tell i won't misunderstand first of all then stephen said you know i love you only you don't know how much i couldn't tell you that any more than i could tell how much water there is in the ocean i didn't know myself that it was possible to love like this and such a love might turn the world into heaven but because i am what i am and because i've done what i've done it's making mine hell wait you said you wouldn't misunderstand the man who loves you ought to offer some sort of spiritual gold and diamonds but i've got only a life half spoiled to offer you if you'll take it and before i can even ask you to take it i'll have to explain how it's spoiled victoria did not speak but still looked at him with that look of an expectant anxious child which made him long to snatch her up and turn his back forever on the world where there was a margot lorenzi and gossiping people and newspapers but he had to go on there's a woman he said who perhaps she cares for me i don't know anyhow she suffered through our family i felt sorry for her i-i suppose i admired her she's handsome or people think so i can hardly tell how it came about but i asked her to marry me and she said yes that was late last winter or the beginning of spring then she had to go to canada where she had been brought up her father died in england a few months ago and her mother when she was a child but she had friends she wanted to see before before she married so she went and i came to algiers to visit neville good heavens how banal it sounds how how different from the way i feel there aren't words i don't see how to make you understand without being a cad but i must tell you that i didn't love her even at first it was a wish a foolish mistaken wish i see now and i saw long ago the moment it was too late to make up for things she was unhappy and no i give it up i can't explain but it doesn't change things between us you and me i'm yours body and soul if you can forgive me for for trying to make you care when i had no right if after knowing the truth you take me as i am i do you mean you'd break off your engagement 
Perhaps it was partly the effect of the green shadows, but the girl looked very pale, except for her eyes and hair, and the red rose that was like a wound over her heart. There was no color about her. Yes, I would, and I believe it would be right to break it, Stephen said forcefully. It's abominable to marry someone you don't love, and a crime if you love someone else. But you must have cared for her once, said Victoria. Oh, cared. I cared in a way as a man cares for a pretty woman who's had very hard luck. You see, her father made a fight for a title that's in our family and claimed the right to it. He lost his case, and his money was spent. Then he killed himself, and his daughter was left alone, without a penny and hardly any friends. Poor, poor girl. I don't wonder you were sorry for her. So sorry you thought your pity was love. You couldn't throw her over now. You know in your heart you couldn't. It would be cruel. I thought I couldn't, till I met you, Stephen answered frankly. Since then, I've thought no i haven't exactly thought i've only felt that night at toja i knew it would be worse than death to have to keep my word to her i wouldn't have been sorry if they killed me then after you said that is after i had the memory of a moment or two of happiness to take to the next world ah that's because i let you see i loved you victoria explained softly and a little shyly i told you i wouldn't misunderstand and i don't just for a minute i was hurt my heart felt sick because i couldn't bear to think to think less highly of you but it was only for a minute then i began to understand so well and i think you are even better than i thought before more generous and chivalrous you were sorry for her in those days of her trouble, and then you were engaged and you meant to marry her and make her happy. But at Toja I showed you what was in my heart, even now. I'm not ashamed that I did, because I knew you cared for me. I worshipped you only less than I do now, Stephen broke in. Every day I love you more, and will to the end of my life. You can't send me away. You can't send me to another woman. I can, for my sake and yours both, because if I kept you, feeling that I was wronging someone, neither of us could be happy. But I want you to know I understand that you have me to be sorry for now, as well as her, and that you're torn between us both, hardly seeing which way honor lies. I'm sure you would have kept true to her if you hadn't hated to make me unhappy. And instead of needing to forgive you, I will ask you to forgive me for making things harder. You've given me the only real happiness I've ever known since I was a boy, Stephen said. If that's true, and it must be, since you say it, neither of us is to be pitied. I shall be happy always because you loved me enough to be made happy by my love, and you must be happy because you've done right and made me love you more. I don't think there'll be any harm in our not trying to forget, do you? I could as easily forget to breathe. So could I. Ever since the first night I met you, you have seemed different to me from any other man I ever knew, except an ideal man who used to live in the back of my mind. Soon that man and you grew to be one. 
You wouldn't have made me separate you from him, would you? If you mean that you'll separate me from your ideal unless I marry Margot Lorenzi, then divide me from that cold perfection forever. I'm not cold, and I'm far from perfect. But I can't feel it a decent thing for a man to marry one woman, promising to love and cherish her, if his whole being belongs to another. Even you can't. I used to believe it wrong to marry a person one didn't love, Victoria broke in quickly. But it's so different when one talks of an imaginary case. This poor girl loves you. I suppose she thinks she does. She's poor, yes, and she depends upon you. Of course she counts on me. I always expected to keep my word. And now you'll break it? For me? Oh, no, I couldn't let you do it. Were you? Does she expect to be married soon? Stephen's face grew red, as if it had been struck. Yes, he answered in a low voice. Would you mind telling me how soon? As soon as she gets back from Canada. Victoria's bosom rose and fell quickly. Oh, and when? At once, almost at once. She's coming back immediately? Yes, I... I'm afraid she's in England now. How dreadful, poor girl, hoping to see you, to have you meet her, and maybe... And you're here. You're planning to break her heart. It breaks mine to think of it. I couldn't have you fail. For God's sakes, don't send me away from you. I can't go. I won't. Yes, if I beg you to go, and I do, you must stand by this poor girl, alone in the world except for you. I see from what you tell me that she needs you and appeals to your chivalry by lacking everything except what comes from you. It can't be wrong to protect her after giving your promise, even though you mayn't love her in the way you once thought you did, but it would be wrong to abandon her now. A rustling in the long path made Stephen turn. Someone was coming. It was Margot Lorenzi. He could not believe that it was really she, and stared stupidly, thinking the figure he saw an optical illusion. She had on a gray traveling dress, and a gray hat trimmed with black ribbon, which, Stephen noted idly, was powdered with dust. Her black hair was dusty, too, and her face slightly flushed with heat. Nevertheless, she was beautiful, with the luscious beauty of those women who make a strong physical appeal to men. Behind her was an Arab servant, whom she had passed in her eagerness. He looked somewhat troubled, but seeing Stephen, he threw up his hands in apology, throwing off all responsibility. Then he turned and went back towards the house. Margot, too, had seen Stephen. Her eyes flashed from him to the figure of the girl, which she saw in profile. She did not speak, but walked faster, and Victoria, realizing that their talk was to be interrupted by somebody, looked around, expecting Lady MacGregor or Sadie. It is Miss Lorenzi, Stephen said in a low voice. I don't know how or why she has come here. But for your sake, it will be better if you go now, at once, and let me talk to her. There was another path by which Victoria could reach the house. She might have gone, thinking Stephen knew best, 
and that she had no more right than wish to stay but the tall young woman in grey began to walk very fast when she saw that the girl with stephen was going be kind enough to stop where you are miss ray i know you must be miss ray margot called out in a loud sharp voice she spoke as if victoria were an inferior whom she had a right to command surprised and hurt by the tone the girl hesitated looking from the newcomer to stephen at first glance and at a little distance she had thought the young woman perfectly beautiful perhaps the most beautiful creature she had ever seen even more glorious than sadie but when miss lorenzi came nearer undisguisedly angry and excited the best part of her beauty was gone wiped away as a face in a picture might be smeared before the paint is dry her features were faultless her hair and eyes magnificent her dress was pretty and exquisitely made if too elaborate for desert travelling her figure charming though some day it would be too stout yet in spite of all she looked common and cruel the thought that stephen knight had doomed himself to marry this woman made victoria shiver as if she had heard him condemned to imprisonment for life she had thought before seeing miss lorenzi that she understood the situation and how it had come about she had said to stephen i understand now it seems to her that she had boasted it in a silly childish way she had not understood she had not begun to understand suddenly the girl felt very old and experienced and miserably wise in the ways of the world it was as if in some other incarnation she had known women like this and their influence over men how if they tried they could beguile chivalrous men into being sorry for them and doing almost anything which they wished to be done a little while ago victoria had been thinking and speaking of margot lorenzi as poor girl and urging stephen to be true to her for his own sake as well as hers but now in a moment everything had changed a strange flash of soul lightning had shown her the real margot unworthy of stephen at her best crushing to his individuality and aspirations at her worst victoria did not know what to think what to do in place of the sad and lonely girl she had pictured here stood a woman already selfish and heartless who might become cruel and terrible no one had ever looked at victoria ray as miss lorenzi was looking now not even maluda the oleed nail who had stared her out of countenance curiously and maliciously at the same time i've heard a great deal about miss ray in algiers margot went on and i think you will both understand why i made this long tiresome journey to tugort there's no reason why miss ray should understand said stephen quickly it can't concern her in the least on your own account it would have been better if you had waited for me in london but it's too late to think of that now i will go with you into the house no margot answered not yet and you're not to put on such a tone with me as if i'd done something wrong i haven't we're engaged and i have perfect right to come here and 
and find out what you've been doing while I was on the other side of the world. You promised to meet me at Liverpool, and instead you were here, with her. You never even sent me word. Yet you're surprised that I came on to Algiers. Of course, when I was there, I heard everything, or what I didn't hear, I guessed. You hadn't bothered to hide your tracks. I don't suppose you so much as thought of me. Poor me, who went to Canada for your sake, really. Yes, I'll tell you why I went now. I was afraid if I didn't go. A man who was in love with me there, he's in love with me now and always will be, for that matter, would come and kill you. He used to threaten that he'd shoot anyone I might marry, if I dared throw him over, and he's the kind who keeps his word. So I didn't want to throw him over. I went myself and stayed in his mother's house and argued and pleaded with him till he promised to be good and let me be happy. So you see, the journey was for you, to save you. I didn't want to see him again for myself, though his is real love. You're cold as ice. I don't believe you know what love is, but all the same I can't be jilted by you for another woman. I won't have it, Stephen. After all I've gone through. If you try to break your solemn word to me, I'll sue you. There'll be another case that will drag your name before the public again, and not only yours. Be still, Margot, said Stephen. She grew deadly pale. I will not be still, she panted. I will have justice. No one shall take you away from me. No one wishes to take me away, Stephen flung at her hotly. Miss Ray has just refused me. You've spared me the trouble of taking her advice. What was it? Margot looked suddenly anxious, and at the same time self-assertive, that I should go at once to England, and to you. Victoria took a step forward, then paused, pale and trembling. Oh, Stephen, she cried, I take back that advice. I, I've changed my mind. You can't, you can't do it. You would be so miserable that she'd be wretched too. I see now it's not right to urge people to do things, especially when one only thinks one understands. She doesn't love you, really. I feel almost sure she cares more for someone else. If, if it were not for things you have, which she wants, if you're rich, as I suppose you must be, don't make this sacrifice, which would crush your soul, but give her half of all you have in the world, so that she can be happy in her own way, and set you free gladly. As Victoria said these things, she remembered Mabarka and the prophecy of the sand, a sudden decision to be made in an instant, which would change her whole life. I'll gladly give Miss Lorenzi more than half my money, said Stephen. I should be happy to think she had it. But even if you begged me to marry her, Victoria, I would not now. It's gone beyond that. Her ways and mine must be separate forever. Margot's face grew eager and her eyes flamed. What I want and insist on, she said, is that I must have my rights. After all I have hoped for and expected, I won't be thrown over and go back to the old dull life of turning and twisting every shilling. If you have settled thirty thousand pounds on me, you are free, so far as I care. I wouldn't marry a man who hated me 
when there's one who adores me as if I were a saint. And I'd like him better than ever I did you. A lot better. I realize that more than I did before. The suggestion of Margot Lorenzi as a saint might have made a looker-on smile, but Victoria and Stephen passed it by, scarcely hearing. If I give you thirty thousand pounds, it will leave me a poor man, he said. Oh, do give her the money and be a poor man, Victoria implored. I shall be so happy if we are poor, a thousand times happier than she could be with millions. Stephen caught the hand that half unconsciously the girl held out to him and pressed it hard. If you will go back to your hotel now, he said to Margot in a quiet voice, I will call on you there almost at once, and we can settle our business affairs. I promise you you shall be satisfied. Margot looked at them both for a few seconds without speaking. I'll go and send a telegram to Montreal, which will make somebody there happier than any other man in Canada, she answered and I expect you in an hour. When she had gone, they forgot her. Do you really mean, when you say we, we shall be happy poor, that you'll marry me in spite of all? Stephen asked. Oh, yes, if you want me still, Victoria said. Does a man want heaven? He took her in his arms and held her close, closer than he had held her the night at Toja, when he had thought that death might soon part them. You've brought me out of the depths. Not I, the girl said. Your star. Your star. You gave me half yours. Now I give it to you all, she told him. And all myself, too. Oh, isn't it wonderful to be so happy in the light of our star and to know that the others we love will be happy, too, my Sadie and your Mr. Kiard. Yes, Stephen answered. But just at this moment I can't think much about anyone else except ourselves, not even your sister and my best friend. You fill the universe for me. It's filled with love, and it is love, said Victoria. The music is sweeter for us, though, because we know it's sweet for others. I couldn't let her spoil your life, Stephen. My life, he echoed, I didn't know what life was or might be till this moment. Now I know. Now we both know, she finished. End of The Golden Silence by Alice Muriel and Charles Norris Williamson